Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, the heroes Nem and Maris had fought their way bravely through two more of the guards in this strange dungeon as dwelling that they had found themselves. After recovering a small sum of treasure, as well as a couple of weapons and some food, Nem and Maris went upstairs to discover they were below a roadhouse-styled tavern. When they had figured out that some sort of strange group of bandits was behind this, Nem quickly went to threaten the bartender. When these threats did not get him anywhere, he decided instead to take his treasure and take his leave. Shortly before they had left, they had met a man named Finn, who had tried to lie to them and tell them that his sister had gone missing and that the ring on Nem's very finger was a family heirloom. Detecting this deception, though needing an ally in a time such as this, Nem and Morris agreed to allow Finn to accompany them, as Finn apparently had some sort of insight as to where their stolen goods may have ended up. Mentioning something of a pawn shop in a nearby town known as Oak Hollow, it seemed that they had a lead to get their stuff. Dramatis Personae Morris Callard Morris was raised with very humble beginnings. In a small village known as Argath, Morris was born to his mother Kamina and his father Delden. Unfortunately, Kamina died during childbirth, leaving behind her husband Delden and their only child, Morris. Delden was a retired adventurer, known for being very skilled with a sword and being an excellent warrior though in the years that would pass after his long career as an adventurer, Delden found himself with a very unfortunate series of events following him. On occasion, strangers would show up in the village looking for Delden by name, oftentimes suggesting that they wanted some sort of revenge for a mysterious patron known only as the Black Mask. At first, people didn't mind having to stand up for a local hero such as Delden, but over time, these annoyances became more of a source of danger for the locals. Guards had died protecting this man, and oftentimes there was more than one victim when these people showed up. Knowing that he had been a proud and noble warrior, 
Delden felt very little remorse for anything he had done during his career. But the guilt of having innocent people try to protect him in his older age left him with a level of guilt he was not prepared for. Oftentimes he'd be found at the tavern drinking away all the treasures he had earned in his previous life as an adventurer. He had developed a reputation around town as a drunkard, an oaf, and overall an embarrassment to have around the village. Altogether, however, with this guilt aside and all of his questing behind him, Delden now lives as a very humble, proud farm owner. Having taught his son the ways of a farmhand from a very young age, Morris had learned a thing or two about a hard day's work, patience, as well as building him into a strong man much like his father. As Morris grew older and began to ask more questions of his father about his past and why the people of the village look at him the way that they do, Delden slipped into a deeper and deeper depression, turning to alcohol to wish away much of his guilt and pain when facing his son. At first, Morris thought very little of this, thinking that perhaps this was a normal thing for an ex-adventurer to feel. But over time, small bits of history about his father's career and even his time in the village of Argeth had come forward. Children around his own age would mock Morris, insulting him and telling him his father was a no-good drunk who had cursed the village with his presence. On occasion, adults too would make fun of Morris, laughing about how his father was such a waste of space and being surprised that his son could turn into anything less than a drunkard himself. Morris, always believing that his father must have some sort of reason for what he does, turned away much of these criticisms and much of this mocking torment, assuming that these people were just jealous, or perhaps they themselves lacked the kind of patience and good character that his father had. Having been picked on in the village as much as he had been, took a toll on Morris's self-esteem and made him into a very shy and uncharismatic individual. It made it very difficult for him to make friends, as well as to find any sort of companionship, even as a youth. But at the ripe age of 13, he had found a girl that he had fallen in love with, simply by looking upon her face. Her name was Laureen. Laureen was a blonde girl with bright blue eyes, who was the daughter of the local baker. She was, by all measures, a very popular young teenage girl, and one who was very kind-hearted and accepting of all. And even though she was very welcoming of Morris, and any time he wanted to speak with her, Morris couldn't get over the fact that the butterflies he felt in his chest were just too much to allow him to speak with the same flow he would have when talking to his friends or his father. But it seemed that his interest in young Laureen was not something that was easily missed by his peers. A group of local boys Morris's own age took great pleasure in picking on him, knowing that his father's reputation had drawn much of the ire of their own fathers. They felt it was natural for them to pick on Morris in the same way. After one of the particularly spiteful boys had noticed how he looked at Laureen, they had decided they would play something of a prank on him. They had decided that they would take a small box and fill it to the brim with bugs, worms, and all kinds of disgusting things that they could find around the farmstead. Soon, these bullies had found Lorene 
and decided to give her the gift, saying that Morris was too nervous to hand it over himself, but said that the box was filled with all of his truest feelings for her. Unfortunately, when she opened it and saw all the disgusting things within, she shrieked in terror and cursed his name. The next time that Laureen had seen him in person, she rushed right up to him and punched him square in the nose. Naturally, the bullies who had been around thought this was hilarious and relished in the victory of their plot. Morris, who had never dealt with such a feeling before, had seen these bullies laughing at his dismay. Morris did what came naturally to him as he indulged in his feelings of rage and he ran right up to one of the bullies and punched him square in the face as well. As the bully went reeling back, not being prepared for such a strike, two of the other boys tried to grab Morris by the arms and try to grapple him to the ground so that they could beat him. But Morris, in this state, was far too angry and far too strong to be held down. And before anybody knew it, Morris had beaten all three of them, and not just beaten them, but savagely beaten them. From that point forward, Morris had earned himself equally as much of a troublemaker's name as his father, albeit on a different level. But it was known to avoid both of the men of the Callard house. And while Morris had hoped that he might be able to find some sort of solace in his father, he realized at this point that his father's drinking left him pretty well unable to empathize with his son's plight. His son had officially become an outcast just like himself, and rather than offer him some sort of sense that things could turn around, his father instead seemed to accept this as their pot in life. Morris had then vowed that he would not attack anyone in any way, and he refused to fight anybody ever again. After seeing what he had done to these boys, he knew that no good could come from such a thing. Chapter 3 Day 1 Evening Party Status Morris, 7 out of 8 hit points. Nem, 7 out of 8 hit points. And Finn, 4 out of 4 hit points. It was on a brisk spring evening that the three men had left the inn, aptly named the Safe Stay. And while none of them had a tent nor a bedroll, apart from Finn, who had only mild preparations for such a trip, the party did not lack the vigor and the confidence required to survive out here in the wilderness. Nem had decided for the party that it would be wiser to take the shortest possible route on their way to Oak Hollow to retrieve their goods from the local pawn shop. Finn, who was relatively well acquainted with this area, had mentioned that this would be about three to four days worth of travel if they traveled north through the plains and farther into the Moonwash Hills, just around where Oak Hollow is. This first evening's travel was a relatively short trip, as the party realized, a couple hours having left the tavern, that they were merely trying to outrun the dangers of the tavern itself, rather than finding an effective camping spot. And so, beneath the light of the stars above, the three men laid out in the grasses and attempted to set up something of a small campfire before going to bed. At this point in time, I think it's safe to start rolling on an encounter table, as well as a foraging table. So, in old school essentials, rolling for a random encounter in this sort of area is going to be a 1 through 6. Foraging for food is also a 1 through 6. So, let's see what happens. First, let's roll for a random encounter. 
Oh boy. Well, naturally, I'd have to get a one on the first shot. So let's see what we got now. I see on my table that I got insects. And for the specific insect in this encounter... Oh no. Alright, let's see how this goes. The second day's worth of travel was a lot easier, though Morris was the quietest of the three. Finn and Nem began to recount tales of their previous travels, with Finn having dropped the whole facade of him being a traveler looking for his sister's well-being and her goods, and instead revealed that he himself was something of a traveling charlatan. Nem had revealed to the group he was something of a reformed thief himself, though never really indulging who he had worked with or what he had done. Morris was a bit sickened by the fact that these men were so comfortable recounting tales of having burgled, lied to people, and done things far worse to people. But he made it a point to never let it be known how much he disapproved of these behaviors. Thinking about what he had done at the tavern, and how many innocent people he helped kill, it felt sort of hypocritical of him to have any issue with this sort of violence. As night fell over the plains, the trio descended into a small thicket of trees, hoping to find some sort of cover, and potentially food. I rolled a two on their check in order to find food, foraging, and thus they did not find any food whatsoever. The men did, however, find some decent firewood out here. Realizing that they wanted to have something of a decent fire, and Nem having absolutely no concept of moderation, he took it upon himself to find the biggest, crackling logs that he could. He sent Morris off to go find some larger logs, realizing that Morris was the strongest of the three of them, and likely could find the best firewood for such a fire. Though Morris grumbled at having to do such work, he relished in being useful to a group, and especially when he was able to use some of the skills that he had learned as a youth back in Argeth. And so, Morris walked off into the distance, not too far from camp, only about 40 to 50 feet, and found a very large, dry piece of wood. As he placed his foot on it and began to rock it back and forth, realizing that it wasn't too sunken in the earth to be pulled out, he pushed it over with a great heave, and to his terror, he saw what lurked below. Small chitinous bodies reflected in the pale moonlight as winged bodies began to stir in the dark beneath the log. A group of six killer bees, roughly the size of a cat each, were uncovered by this log, and realizing some sort of intruder or some sort of predator may be coming for them and their honey, they all sprung into attack. Combat begins. Before we dive headfirst into this combat, which I'm sure the party will do great with, I will roll for a surprise for both groups to see if either of them was more prepared for the other one and can get a head start. First, I'll roll for Morris. Okay, I got a two, which means he is surprised. Let's hope that these killer bees are also surprised. Oh, a one. Perfect. So both sides are surprised by each other, so neither of them are truly prepared to get the drop on one another. Now, we roll initiative. For the party, I got a six. And for the bees, I got... Oh no, a six. So I guess at this point, both are going to move at full speed out of there. Because the party are going to be running away, and the bees are going to be charging after them and attempting to attack, 
I'm going to say that both of them are able to move at full speed, but the bees are going to be able to attack while they're moving, since it could be considered part of a charge as they do. I'm also going to be kind here and say that because both Nem and Finn are close enough to hear Mara's scream and alarm, both of the men will be more than willing to jump up and run out of there as well. Because the bees are more concerned with protecting their hold rather than going all out and attempting to kill things, I'm going to say that only three of the six killer bees present are going to chase the party. I think that this makes sense that three would stay back and protect the nest. So let's see what those three got in their attack rolls. I'm going to roll all three at the same time for the sake of speed. Oh boy. Since the party are fleeing, they're going to get a bonus against them. But unfortunately, that bonus is quite hefty. The bees got 20, a 6, and a 4. Meaning that one of these attacks is a critical hit, and the other two attacks are misses on both Nem and on Finn. I think it only makes sense that Morris would be the one to be attacked, especially to receive a critical hit for his foolish blunder kicking over this particular log. Now, for anybody who's not super familiar with old school gaming, poison in this edition and in many old school editions is not just extra damage. In many cases, this is a life or death scenario. So, I will begin by rolling the damage, which is going to be double the damage of a typical roll. Let's roll that now. Our killer bee got a total of four points of damage, stabbing Morris in the back. This wounds him, leaving him with only three out of eight hit points left. Now, Morris is gonna have to roll for his saving throw versus poison. Morris needs to get above a 12, and let's hope for the best, because he will die if he misses this. Oh good, by the grace of the gods, he got a 15. So as the three men rush out of this campsite that they were beginning to build up, running at as fast a speed as they can, one of the killer bees catches up to Mara's, latches onto his back like a small backpack, and jabs its stinger square into his back through two of his ribs. As the stinger breaks off, the killer bee falls to the ground, harmless and dying after stinging him, but pumping him with a brutal venom. Mara's felt his insides on fire at this point, as the pain rushed through his entire body. He pushed himself to keep sprinting, screaming in terror and agony as he did. Now, as we roll initiative for the second round, let's pray for our party. Alright, the good guys got a 5. Very well. And the bees got a 3. Perfect. Hopefully this head start and this distance will get them to lay off. The party rush out of there at full speed, but Morris, unfortunately, with the stinger lodged in his back, takes an additional point of damage, leaving him with 2 hit points left. This is not good. As the men regroup inside the wood and they can see each other making it to the edge of the thicket, Morris is very clearly in pain and Nem can tell that he is not doing well and he looks heavily wounded as this giant stinger seems to be protruding from his back about three or four inches. The bees follow at half speed, seeing that the party have left, eventually giving up chase. Let's roll for initiative one last time. Party got a five again, and the bees got a one. So I'll say at this point, the bees give up their chase, turning back and going to their log. The party 
having reached the edge of the thicket of trees, start to catch their breath as they huff and puff. Morris falls to the ground, his chest heaving as he lays upon it, his whole back lurching in a very unhealthy-looking way. Nem, without missing a beat, rushes over and grabs the stinger out of his back with a disgusting noise similar to pulling a dagger out of its sheath. After one final scream of agony, Morris finally came to a point where he relaxed and started breathing heavily, seeming to sob a little bit in pain and agony. Nem puts a hand on his back over the wound with some cloth that he tore off from his own shirt and put it over this wound to try to stop the bleeding. After about an hour or so, the party, having left the edge of the thicket and moved far to the fields where Morris could rest and recuperate his wounds, Nem began to realize that people like Morris were not ready for this kind of a lifestyle. And while he didn't know the details of what had pushed Morris to leave home and come to a place like this, he knew that somebody like Finn had accepted his fate as potentially dying in the woods to some killer bee more than Morris ever could. Nem felt a sense of pity looking upon Morris in his broken form, realizing that he came that close to death, and for what? A fire? Certainly this was not the fate that somebody like Morris deserved. A farmhand like him probably had a wife waiting for him at home somewhere in his life, maybe a couple kids in a decent farmstead to live out a simple life. But now, on the road, in the wilderness, surrounded by danger, all those things were lost by the wayside. In fact, it was people like Morris that got Nem to stop what he was doing before while working with the Ember Blade Syndicate, but that is a tale for a different time. At this point, the group had decided to set up a makeshift camp, opting not to start a fire. The camp was silent this night. It had been silent the night before, but this night it was silent for a different reason. While the camp was silent the first time, out of fear for the unknown what could happen, it seemed that Morris was especially silent tonight, for fear of what else could happen. Nem's assessment of him was very true, and Morris wanted nothing more at this point than to go back to his childhood, change things so things didn't go wrong like they had gone to bring him to this point. Unfortunately, those feelings didn't really seem to carry over to both Nem and Finn, who at this point began to recount stories again of traveling on the road and which kinds of buxom ladies they had met along their way, oftentimes laughing perhaps a little bit too loud for a group of wounded adventurers. But as the stars descended, the moon fell, and the sun rose again, the group was ready to travel again. On this, the third day, the party now had regained some hit points from their travel. Albeit, this travel did not give back much hit points, but on a D3 roll, the party returns one hit point to Nem, bringing him back to eight out of eight hit points, and for Morris, two hit points returning him to four total hit points altogether. As they strolled over the hills, let's see what they get for another random encounter, and let's see if they find some food. On a d6 roll, a 1 means an encounter, and a 1 means the foraging is successful. The first d6 for foraging? 4. Okay, so they don't find any food for themselves while traveling. It makes sense that they're probably more eyes on the prize than eyes on a feast at this point. And now, rolling for the random encounter. 
Oh boy, another one. Well, let's hope that we get something good this time. Sometimes these aren't necessarily combat encounters, and I'm sure we'll see something good come their way soon. So now I roll on the table. We will find a traveling human. Okay. Ah, interesting. Perhaps this is exactly what the party needs. At about midday, the party strolled upon a group of rolling hills. Having found themselves near the Moonwash Hills, this terrain has become a lot more of hillocks rolling over the countryside with big blankets of green grasses, as well as many patches of flowers, ferns, and the occasional thicket of trees. In the distance, however, they could hear the sound of somebody singing, a man singing, and not singing particularly well, but it sounded like they were singing something of a hiking tune. Though the party didn't assume that anybody singing a hiking tune out in a patch of flowers was likely a threat, they still took it upon themselves to get armed and ready. Finn prepared his short bow, and both Nem and Morris prepared their weapons for whatever may come over the hillock and through the flowers. Standing about sixty feet away from them, clearing the hill, they saw a man with a long scraggly beard, long wavy hair pulled back by a single wrap, a walking stick in one hand, and his other hand over his eyes to block out the sunlight so that he could see the trio before him even better. Realizing that they were armed, holding their weapons in his direction, he used his hand to wave towards them and said, Hail and well met. My name is Terriad, and I mean you no harm. As the trio stood, speechless looking on at this man who stood before them, lanky, six feet tall, leather armor, they realized there was no chance for this man to be anything of a threat. Finn now took it upon himself to return the greetings. Well, Terriad, if that is your name, what are you doing out here? Terriad, lacking all social graces that one might expect, began to scratch out his beard instead of answering. I am a traveler of Hemwall. The world is my chapel, and the road my sermon. Almost stupefied by hearing this response, the trio looked at each other with a look of curiosity and confusion. Really, the only person in the group smart enough to know much of anything about this was Finn himself, and he returned by saying, Are you telling me that you're a, a priest? At this point, Terriad began to walk closer with his walking stick and said, Indeed I am. I travel, spreading the word of my god, and hopefully bringing peace to those I encounter along my way. As is the way of Hemwall, I come bearing gifts, anything you might need, and I shall give it to you. Further perplexed by having found such an innocent and kind man out here in the middle of nowhere, the party had no choice but to accept this man's kindness. Nem finally broke the silence. While I appreciate the fact that you're traveling wherever it is that you're going, I would like to know, where are you intended on heading? Terriad began to scratch at his neck this time, looking up at the sun for a moment, then back down at the flowers at his feet, and he said, Well, I suppose, wherever it is that you're going, it is the teaching of Hemwall that our divinity will find us in the form of strange travelers who need our aid. Are you telling me that you need my help at this point? As his eyes found Morris, 
and his bandage wrapped around his waist, covering the wound on his back. He immediately nodded his head a few times, with a look of smug piety, realizing this may be his first holy quest. Morris, realizing that this man was eyeballing his wound, shifted his position as to not look weak in the face of a stranger. If you're going to help us, then I suppose you should help us. But don't treat us like we need your help, okay? Said Morris as he shifted his weight again, this time taking on a very defensive look. Nem floated a hand before Morris's chest, trying to signal that he should calm down and that this man may be a blessing in his own right. So, I guess my first question is, do you know the way to get to Okalo? Okalo? Yeah, no, I was there not too long ago. I've been traveling through the woods for a while, over the hills, exploring all the gifts of the road, and those of the path not yet laid. Finn had met many holy men in his past, and Nem had met many on his days of questing. Both of them rolled their eyes, having heard the talk of a priest at work. Though Morris, who had not had much experience with any gods of any variety, he instead looked a little bit more hopeful at this sort of talk. Morris interrupted his pious speech. So, does that mean you can show us the way? Terriad smiled, a very, very wide smile, and with a tranquil look on his face, he nodded and said, It would be my pleasure to take you there. And thus, a party of four was formed. And as the party continued for the rest of this day, they spoke very little of what they had done the day before, and instead they allowed Terriad to indulge himself in all the tales of glory of Hemwall, and spoke of all the things he had seen in his travels all around the lands of Delagrat. Though Hemwall did ramble, he had a way of telling stories that was rather soothing to all who had time to listen. It sounded as if he had been trained his entire life to tell stories in this way. And even though most of the members of this party had very little patience or very little time for gods or talk of religion, they were definitely welcome for somebody to brighten the dourness of their group with something of a pleasant or optimistic story of adventure and travel. Chapter 3, Part 2 Day 4 Party Status Finn, 4 out of 4 hit points Terriad 5 out of 5 hit points Morris, 4 out of 8 hit points The party, led by Terriad at this point, followed the bay path into Oak Hollow, a quaint and peaceful town filled with log cabins with thatched roofs. The majority of people here appeared to be woodcutters or craftsmen of some sort of variety. And though these were the same kinds of people that Mars had grown up with, he definitely did not feel comfortable being around common folk. While the dwarf was able to pull the majority of the looks from the onlookers and the people in town, Terriad didn't seem to be slowed by any means, and Finn seemed to keep his wits about him as he winked at the occasional passerby. Finn, being acquainted with this town in one way or another, knew his way to the pawn shop, and he knew his shortcuts of how to get there the quickest. Seeing the common symbol for the pawnbroker with the three golden orbs held together with three lines, Finn approached the door and gave it three quick raps of his fist. 
The door opened, and a broad-faced half-orc looked back at him from the doorway, gave him a smug look, and closed the door again. Finn replied by knocking the same three raps again, and the door swung open, with the half-orc giving him a dirty look. Finn, unfazed by this, placed a hand upon his chest and shoved him aside gently, walking in and seeing somebody behind the counter. This man behind the counter was something of a friend or a foe of Finn's. The party was not really aware of which one it was, but to their great dismay, this large and bronze-skinned man with dark hair pulled back into a tight ponytail looked at him, pointed one finger covered in silver rings at Finn and said, You rat-eating, filth-mongering, slime-dwelling piece of filth! You have a lot of nerve to come to a place such as this! Thank you for listening to an episode of Legends from the Fireside. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to leave a 5-star rating and a review. Some of these reviews may be read at the end of episodes. You can also reach me at Legends from the Fireside on Twitter, or you can email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.